For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. First off with you, Randy, how you doing today? Doing very well, Jeff. How about you? I am doing fantastic. And Jake, how's this Saturday morning treating you? Feeling great, Jeff. Thanks for asking. You're certainly welcome. Here we are together on the radio with the fine people here, the last bastion of sanity, Springfield, Missouri. Where did the time go? We're already heading into probably the halfway point of the year. So a lot of things to talk about on today's show. And we're going to start it off with current events. And we're going to start off with a couple of things. We were talking earlier and you had a story, Jake, about shrink inflation. So let's start off with shrinkflation. What is that? And tell us that story if you can. Well, we had a few stories actually, Jeff, about shrinkflation. The first one we were talking about was housing and the way that people are dealing with higher interest rates and just the fact that housing is so expensive is they are simply buying less house, smaller houses. And we're starting to see builders building smaller houses so that they can get roughly the same price, but not have to build quite as much as opposed to the inflation where we're buying the same house and it costs more, right? So it's the general idea of shrinkflation is we simply buy less instead of paying more. So my son likes these little grandma's sandwich cookies that you can get at the local Casey's store and some of the other convenience stores around town here. And some of you may have seen these, but they're basically little vanilla sandwich cookies and they come in a little cylindrical package. Right. And so a couple of months ago, they were 99 cents. And so they recently raised the price to $1.49. Now, you know, they say that inflation is running about 4%, but by my math, that's a little more than 4%. Oh, yeah. Um, But (laughs) be that as it may, the other interesting thing is that they reduced the diameter of the cookies. Mm. So the cookies are actually smaller now inside that package. It's very obvious when you pick up the package. I mean, there's probably 50% less cookie there, every bit of 40% for sure. And so it's just very interesting to see the ways that companies, businesses, as well as individuals are handling inflation and and what they're doing to, to combat that in their lives. And you told the story before about getting a bag of, I forget what it was, chips, something like that. (laughs) You open it up. I mean, it's purposely got a lot of air in there, too. And, you know, what's in the bag is a lot less than it used to be as well. Well, yeah, some settling does occur during shipping. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what the the excuse is going to be. (laughs) And all the chip bags now are smaller but still have the same amount of air. Well, exactly. You know, so like when you when you open them up, like a lot of the a lot of the bags, they've gone to these kind of you used to have the single serve type bags that you would get at the yeah. gas station or whatever. And then you'd have like a big bag and then maybe like a party size bag that you would get at Walmart or wherever. The normal size bag is like halfway in between the single serve and what used to be the regular bag. Right. And everything is just getting smaller so that the inflation doesn't seem to be quite as ruthless. And I wonder how they are factoring that into the CPI or if anybody actually knows how that's They're factoring not. in, right? Because if a bag of Doritos costs three fifty nine, and I reduce what's in it 20% and I just charge three eighty nine, 
on the surface, that seems like 7% inflation, right? But it's actually like 30% inflation. And so there's a lot of games that are being played here. And I think that inflation is still running hotter than the government would have you believe. But that being said, I think inflation is on the mend here. And I think that for now, we will we will see it start to subside. And I think that the advancements in AI and other things like that are going to aid in that journey. But they're also going to create a lot of other problems as we go through it. But I know we talked quite a bit about AI last week, so I won't go down that rabbit hole just yet. Today. That's okay, though. I think that we should still say, you know, AI is going to help improve productivity, right, which is what right, we right. need to help curb inflation because productivity keeps going down, 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 down. And so that's mm-hmm. going to help us to be more productive. And that's going to have an impact on it as well. Yeah, and I think AI is beginning to really have a lot more effect in a lot of areas that we really don't think about. Of course, we talked about chat GDP, where you can, you know, have it write an article or anything that you want for it. But I read the other day, now this is a talk station, but with music stations, there is a music radio station in Portland who has an AI midday personality, if you will, or midday disc jockey. (laughs) And I mean, it sounds about right. Yeah. Pretty much all they're doing is saying the call letters and, you know, maybe what time it is and probably not even what time it is. But yeah, so AI is creeping in of the radio business as well, too. I don't think that AI can ever really replace us, though. What do you think about that? I don't know. I mean, look, I'm okay with AI filling in for some of the humans, as long as it doesn't decide it needs to fill in for all humans. <laughs> uh, you know, that's that's the existential <laughs> risk that everybody's concerned about, the Skynet Terminator type uh, yeah. <laughs> AI, that you, if you will. But I think that it's going to improve some things, but there's definitely going to be some hiccups and there's going to be some collateral damage and it's going to be important to pay attention to what's going on. Well, how long do you think it is before we have an AI, an artificially intelligent president? What do you think about that one? As opposed to this president, maybe sooner rather than later, I don't know. But, you know, uh, it's starting to look more and more like he may have at least a challenger here in Mr. Oh, RFK yeah. Jr. Right. You know, we'll see how that plays out. But, yeah, I, I don't think that AI can be president, at least not a decent president yet. There's so many little nuances, and, and I don't think, as is evident by a lot of these chatbots, they do not have the art of relationship. They're incapable of building rapport, at least at this point, and, you know, being emotionally tied and things like that. So it has a little ways to go there, but I have a feeling that you're going to see AI advance much, much faster than you might think. You know, the current version of ChatGPT is about 10 times more effective than the previous version, is my understanding, and that's only been about, you know, like 15 months before. So, you know, if we keep improving at that type of rate, it'll be pretty crazy pretty fast. So, um, Um, You know, hold on to your boots. So artificial intelligence is going to have an impact on the employment market. As I said, with a disc jockey in Portland, Oregon, they're doing it on the radio. There are some fast food restaurants who are experimenting with it at this point. And the writers, of course, on strike are worried about using it as well, too. So artificial intelligence is something that we're going to be keeping an eye on in the workforce part of this. Also, we've been talking about shrinkflation here and inflation. Where are we with inflation at this point? And does it seem to be going down as much as they had hope that it would be and where do we see it going in the rest of the year well like i alluded to earlier jeff i think that there's a disconnect between what the numbers are saying and what people are feeling as far as inflation is concerned and while i do think it is down quite a lot I'm not sure it's, to the average person, it feels like it's as far down as the numbers would suggest. And with the Fed, you know, pausing their rate hikes last week, and we'll kind of get into this over the next segment too, but the Fed obviously believes 
that inflation is coming back down into balance. And, you know, I think for the average person, they're starting to feel some relief. But we also have to remember that inflation coming down, deflation is not the same as disinflation. So let's talk about two things. Deflation is where the prices actually come down. Disinflation is where they go up, but at a lesser rate than what they were going up before. And what we're having right now is disinflation, not deflation. So I would not expect prices to go down anytime soon on uh, you know, your Dr. Pepper or uh, milk at the grocery store. So while it's not going up as fast as it was, it's not exactly uh, just dirt cheap either. So whether it's disinflation or deflation, how does that affect your building retirement plans? Is inflation still as much of a factor? And do you build that into your retirement plans as much as you would have, let's say, six, nine months ago, maybe even 12 months ago? Well, let's say this, Jeff. You know, we always factor in room for inflation and for income growth looking forward every year. However, and I think we talked about this maybe several shows back, you kind of asked the question, how do you plan for 8 and 10% inflation? And I said, you don't. Right. <laughs> you, you cannot. That's not sustainable. You cannot plan for that. Nobody can. But yes, it does affect how we look at retirement planning looking forward. However, I would say that our basic planning technique has not changed because, again, while we need protection against inflation, we also need protection against spending down the assets that we currently have. So uh, we have to look at it from, yes, we want to generate income. Yes, we want to try to hedge against inflation, but we also still need protection. And that's one of the biggest things in retirement. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about current events and something that you mentioned, Randy, was interesting before we went on the air today. And that is this interesting dynamic about baby boomers and how they've sort of made off like bandits during this last pandemic. Yeah. Well, even before that, Jeff, if you look back to the financial crisis in 2007, 8, and 9, the bottom of the market for the S&P 500 was March 2nd, 2009, and it bottomed out at 666 points. And of course, today we're sitting at 4,400 points, probably pretty close to that number. And so uh, all that represents a growth from there. And so while yes, bull did take a little bit of an asset bath back there, you know, from when it had been higher prior to 2009, the growth that we saw from 09 through 2020, the start of the pandemic, has never really been seen before for that long. It was 100 and roughly 132 months of expansion and growth in the stock market. And so the baby boomers, of which you and I are, are part of that, we were great benefactors of that in asset prices of all sorts, not just the stock market, but housing and, and everything. We were great benefactors of that. And we've been waiting and waiting for the recession to hit. Right. And I think that what happened during the pandemic, there was a lot of extra money printed and put into the system, roughly about, and when I say extra, roughly about six and a half trillion dollars, yeah. <laughs> which is a few bucks, right? Yeah. Uh, that, along with the fact that we put three and a half trillion into quantitative easing back in what ten through thirteen, mm -hmm. that's what propped up the market and kept things going. And so I think that there's a lot of baby boomers that are pretty cash flush out there right now, and that they are actually helping their millennial children, and in some cases their grandchildren get houses, buy things, mm -hmm. and I think they're generally just kind of propping up this economy. Now, that will eventually come to an end because every piggy bank only holds so much. That's right. So That's what right. you're saying is is that the parents of these millennials and Gen Z are plugging holes where there would otherwise be holes. I really think they are. Right, yeah. right. 
I have seen that so many times. I know what you're talking about. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group. We've been talking about current events. We've covered, of course, shrinkflation. If you bought anything at the supermarket or a fast food place lately, you notice it is a lot smaller than it used to be. That is one way to control prices. We also talked about housing and the dynamic here about the baby boomers. If you would like to talk to Randy and Jake, ask your specific questions and get the answers that apply to you, your individual situation, and your journey to and through retirement. We're offering a no-cost, no-obligation financial review. To get yours, call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. Once you get a chance to sit down with Randy and Jake and get yourself on a firm path to retirement. No cost, no obligation, and most importantly, no judgment. Again, 417-889-7233. You can also request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. When we come back here and show me the money, we're going to be talking about the Fed pausing its interest rate hikes and what that means for your retirement retirement and savings plans. All that and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more Straight Talk with Randy Floyd. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. This is Jake Floyd. I'm here with Randy. In this segment, we're going to be talking about the Fed pause and what it means for interest rates in your retirement. And Jake, the Federal Reserve is pressing pause, as you said, on its series of interest rate hikes designed to tame inflation. That is for now, at least. So what does this headline mean for retirees, do you think? Well, I think that people are going, okay, maybe this is about to come to the end, all this madness. And so that's why people have kind of of late started to jump back into the market a little bit. I think that people are sick and tired of being sick and tired of waiting to be able to make some money again. You know, if you look at it since June of 2021 through June of 2023, markets have been down as much as 24%. And now they're kind of starting to flatten out, even though it looks great this year. Really, we're still just barely our head above water from two years ago. So uh, I think that's partially what it is. People are kind of excited about the prospects of it. And the market, of course, tries to always look ahead and price this stuff in. And we think it's done a pretty efficient job of that. Now the question is, what's going to happen next month and maybe the month after every six weeks, I guess I should say, what's going to happen over the next 12 weeks? Is he going to raise rates again because he left the door open for that? And will this rally hold? I mean, it was very thin. It was basically held up by seven of the largest companies that were all basically communications and tech companies from the Amazons, the NVIDIAs, the Apples, uh, the Googles. Those were the people that really propped the market up there for a while. So people are hopeful, and we're also hopeful that inflation will continue to decrease. Not deflation, but as Jake said, disinflation will continue. So there's a lot on the line right now, and people are just really holding their breath right now, I think, in a lot of cases to see what's next. Yeah, there was one financial advisor who was quoted, and I love this quote here, you know, as far as inflation going down a little bit. And he's saying it's like saying it's getting much better because it only robs four people a week instead of robbing 20 people a week. I mean, inflation's kind of like a robber that steals the value from retiree savings accounts and their monthly pensions. Yeah, and I think that especially people that are underinvested in this market, you know, whether it's 
you know, sometimes we talk to people that are very conservative, which, you know, we understand. And we have a lot of conservative clients out there and people that have built their retirement being conservative. But those are the people that are getting penalized the most. The people that are, you know, sitting, have been sitting in, in CDs and savings accounts and money market accounts for the last 15 years or so, where you were getting almost no interest. And then now we start jacking the prices up, right? If you've been in the market over that period, you have maintained and stayed ahead of inflation because inflation drives the market. And this is one of the things that we talk about in our meetings sometimes is that if you think about inflation, think about it as a giant North Shore Hawaiian wave mm -hmm. and you're out on the beach and this wave's coming in and you say, okay, do I want to ride this wave and stay on top of it or do I want to let it crush me? And that's how you have to think about inflation, because inflation, as it comes in, can be very destructive to earnings power. Once you have a year at 9% inflation, that simply inflates all the next years by that 9%. Because the chances of you having deflation in a meaningful way, meaning prices actually come back down, are very slim. So what happens is, is it goes up big, and even if inflation comes back down to 2 or 3%, you still have that giant 9% in the middle. So your money got devalued by 9% that one time. Now, if you have multiple years where that happens, like we have recently, it really eats away at your spending power. And so that's why the Fed is so desperate to tame inflation. A lot of people are right. like, why does it matter if we get the inflation back down to 2%? I assure you, it does matter. And we cannot allow it to just run rampant, like some people would suggest would be okay. Anyway, back to your original question, you know, the, the Fed pausing signals that we're closer to the end of this rate hiking cycle than we are to the beginning. Now, nobody knows what the top is going to be here. And the Fed kind of shocked everybody last week when they said that we might need to go two to three more rate hikes, basically, was what the average participant said. What the market has been pricing in is maybe one more hike in July and mm -hmm. then done and then start cutting by the end of the year. So the Fed has a duty to project strength, meaning that they're going to continue to raise, even if they're not. Because if they lay down and just say, hey, we're going to cut soon, the market will just take that and run with it and inflation will spike. And then everything that they've worked for will be kind of up in smoke. So there's certainly no guarantee of any more rate hikes or a cut for that matter. I think what the Fed is really going to be watching now is what are they breaking by allowing rates to stay this high? As we look at the banking sector, especially like back in March, you know, when these banks were starting to really have trouble, the reason they're having trouble is because the banks are holding these bonds underneath. And when interest rates go up, those bonds get devalued. But the bank doesn't actually take a loss unless they're forced to liquidate that bond. And so the longer interest rates stay high, the more likely are they are to have to liquidate that bond. And so there's a lot of what's called net unrealized loss that these banks have on their balance sheet that a lot of people have already kind of forgotten about since March. And every bank is, is in this boat together, some to larger extents than others, based on how much risk they took, how long out the yield curve they are as far as time is concerned. But they all have this problem. And if we keep interest rates at 5%, 5.5% for months and months, we will see more bank failures. Banks are going to have trouble. And the sooner we get to cutting, the less likely that is to happen. But the Fed is going to be probably staying higher for longer 
until they break something. And most likely it will be the banking sector that has trouble first. There's two potential things that could come up from having rates maintain this high by the Fed. One is what we just discussed, where the banks start to have trouble with this net unrealized loss problem. But the other part of it is the treasury market. If we keep interest rates up high and the market anticipates that we're going to be cutting rates or if the banks do start to have trouble, what could happen is you could get in a situation where people don't want to buy United States debt. And that can get into a spiral where people start to become afraid that the government could either not make interest payments or just simply they don't want to get caught in a situation where their bond gets devalued significantly quickly. And so if the market dries up for treasuries, that's another major issue. So those are the two things. The banks and the treasury market are the two major things that we have to watch as we maintain higher rates and or continue to hike. I also think there's one additional thing we should plug in there, Jake, and that is the fact that people are waiting for prices to come down. And, you know, we saw the egg crisis, if you will, which it was a crisis. I yeah, mean, sure. with 18 eggs or $8, you know, yeah, it's right. pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. And they've come back down a lot, but they haven't come all the way back down to where they were. And they may never. And the reason is when these companies are here looking at what's going on, you know, the supply chain was a problem early on during the pandemic. Then we had way too much money and not enough stuff to buy. So inflation went crazy. So as inflation starts to ease, these companies are going to be slow to cut price because they are afraid of what may happen sure. cost-wise to them and labor-wise. And they're going to hang on to that stuff for a little while until they can see their way clear to keep their earnings high. Because if the multiples get too high, PEs on these stocks get too high, people will not buy them. They'll go to this fixed interest. So it's really a very delicate balancing act that we have here. And they know that we'll pay the prices. I've heard some people say that we're expecting a recession here before the end of the year that will be short but deep. What is your opinion on that? Here's what I say, Jeff. I say nobody knows the answer to that for sure. Again, as we talked about earlier, I think there's a lot of propping up going on right now by the boomers and people that have been really made cash flush over the last 10 to 11 years. And when that comes to an end, I think we will see that recession. Now, I don't know if that's going to be into next year or later this year. I will say this, as inflation starts to come down, which we know that it has, and Jerome Powell starts to lower interest rates, if he does actually go from the pause to lowering, I think we'll see more money make its way back to the market, which will push the market up. That does not mean that the economy is not going to feel the downside, though, still. But we always know this, the market goes ahead, predicts what's coming in the economy. Now, does that mean that we've seen the worst, that October was the end of the really bottom, bottom of the stock market, and that now we're on the mend, and so that maybe the economy over the next six to 12 months is going to fall into recession? I say that we will see some sort of recession. How deep it is, nobody knows. Our show is called Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd. Glad you could join us here on this Saturday morning. We've been talking about the Fed pausing its interest rate hikes and what that means for your retirement and savings plans. If you would like to sit down with Randy and Jake one-on-one -on -one and discuss your retirement plans, we are offering a no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment retirement roadmap. To get yours, call 417-889-7233. 
417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary retirement roadmap online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. When we come back, we'll be talking about more workers are planning to retire on less money by claiming Social Security early. All that and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good. Because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about more workers are retiring early and taking Social Security, which means they're going to live on less. Or does it? Randy, hammered by inflation, recession fears, and doubts about the future of Social Security, an increasing number of working Americans say that they plan to claim their Social Security benefits early while staying on the job. So let's talk about some factors that are driving this trend and the reason why more people are claiming Social Security early. It seems that people just do not have the confidence, and correct me if I'm wrong, that Social Security is going to be there for them during their entire retirement. Yeah, for sure. You know, people that I, and I tell people this most of the time, now I don't have a crystal ball, nor do I have a line to the Social Security Administration and Congress that's giving me inside information. But if I did, this is what I think they would tell me, right? Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, it's been on the chopping block that Social Security could be cut by as much as 23%. Mm -hmm. However, I'm thinking, you know, if people are probably 60 and older or claiming, they're probably not going to be subject to much of a cut in Social Security. Number one, it's not politically very inviting for people right now. And with the presidential election coming up soon, I don't think that's going to be very popular. I think they will stay well clear of that. When we talk about Social Security here in our office and when you should take that, we always look at, yes, the financial side of things, but we also always look at the human side of things. And what I mean by that is twofold. Number one, I want to retire so I can slow down. I want to work part-time. I want to maintain a schedule in my life. I want to stay connected to people. But I'd like to have a little more time to travel, to run marathons, ride mountain bikes, go fishing, you know, all the things that people like to do, vacation. And, by the way, I can go ahead and work part-time and round out maybe some income that I don't have while economies and markets, you know, perk up and do better. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are claiming Social Security early because they previously had wanted to wait until claiming Social Security, but, you know, they're unsure about their job situation. They don't know if they're going to have a job, and they'd rather have some money than uh, actually no money. So I think that is a reason why people claim Social Security early. Is it always a mistake to claim Social Security early? In other words, what are some circumstances that might dictate that you should take it now versus later? Sure. So I would say that there's three main things there. Number one, if you've done very well in life and Social Security is going to be a very small part of your retirement, yeah, you might want to take it later if it's not going to have much impact. Number two, it may be that you have health issues that are making it very difficult for you to continue to hold down full-time work or any work at all. And then thirdly, you know, it could be a combination of the two where, you know, I'm okay, but, uh, you know, I'm getting to be 62 and we're not promised tomorrow. And, you know, we have 
have a lot of people that refer to their parents when they look at, well, my longevity may not be much because my parents died at 70. My mom and dad died at, you know, 72 and 74 respectively. So there's always those three factors that come in. You know, Social Security is not a big factor for me. I don't really need it for retirement. Number two, and I would say if that's the case, we still, there might be some reasons to take Social Security, especially if you are going to retire early. We can go ahead and do some creative things with that. Number two, if you're really at a point to where, you know, it's just very difficult to go to work and work full time, we need to always take that into consideration. And number three, the combination of those two things, always being mindful of the fact that we're human and we like interaction. Many times I have grandmothers come in and sit down and say, well, Randy, I want to retire at 62 because I want to spend time with my grandkids. But if you do take Social Security early, Randy and Jake, there are some limitations. There's an earnings cap. Can you tell us more about what that is right now? Sure. The earnings cap right now, Jeff, is $21,240 a year that you can earn and not have to start paying back Social Security benefits if you retire before your full retirement age. So that's one thing to bear in mind for sure. If you're going to work, you got to keep yourself under that number, whatever position you're in. And the full retirement age is between 66 and 67, depending upon your year of birth. And when you get to be full retirement age, Randy, it means that you can make as much as you want. Is that right? That is correct. And that's what a lot of people are doing these days. You know, Jeff, I don't know about you, but we see a lot of the folks that come in to see us are still pretty healthy at 66 and 67. And they're thinking, okay, it's time to go out and do the things I want to do rather than living by somebody else's schedule like I have for the last 40 or 50 years. You know, it's interesting if you look at what the average monthly Social Security check is. You know, if you wait till 70, you can get, if it's 67 to 70, you can get 8% simple interest for those next three years if you want to wait till age 70. Now, I will tell you, waiting till age 70, you know, is not for everybody. Now, Mm -hmm. if you look at it from a strictly financial point of view, you would say, well, 70 is when I should take it because that's when I get the most benefit from it. However, again, we've talked about the other three things that come into play. But, you know, as of February of 2023, this will be a number I think people will be interested in. The average Social Security check amongst all retirees is $1,693.88 per month, while the average check for a 62-year-old is $1,247, and for a full retirement payment at age 67, $1,782. So there is a significant amount of difference there. However, for most people, Social Security is not the only thing that they're living on. No, I mean, some people have pensions. I think there's about 16% of people who have pensions. But obviously, I mean, it would be kind of difficult, I would think, to live on just Social Security alone. But of course, most people have some sort of investments. Now, if you wait until 70, as you said, uh, most people think, well, I'm going to get more in Social Security. But is that really true when you look at the total amount of Social Security that you get? There's this thing called the break-even point. Can you explain what that is and how that works? Sure. What we always do is we look at, you know, what do I collect now versus in the future, whether that be at 62, 65. A lot of times we look at 65 because that's Medicare age when people can get health insurance without having to go out and pay through the nose for it on the exchange, so to speak. So when we look at that, the break even is how much different is the check? So to give you an idea, let's say I retire at 62 and if I'd have waited till full retirement age, it was going to be $500 a month more. What I do is I take all the earnings I gave up 
up for those five years and divide it by the increased monthly amount, that will tell me how many months it takes me to break even. And generally, it's somewhere between 77 and 80 years old is where we see that falling out. So if you think you're going to live to be more than 80, then maybe that's a good bet. If you think you're not going to live to 80, take it as soon as possible, I guess would be the answer there, or somewhere in the middle. And I will say this, nobody's average, right? But the average age compositely, if you look at it across all Americans, is probably about 81. So mm -hmm. you may only give up one year of being in the money, if you will, <laughs> by electing to take it later. We're talking about when to take Social Security with Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Are there also tax considerations in uh, deciding when to take Social Security? Because Social Security can be taxed. But I would imagine that if you're working and taking Social Security, that you're probably going to end up paying more tax on your Social Security, right or wrong? Yeah, you will. Depending on how much money you're earning as a single person or as a married couple, there are thresholds as to where you start paying tax on Social Security, where you pay on as much as 50% of it or as much as 85%. You're never taxed on 100% of your Social Security check, 85% of it. So in other words, if you were earning, if it's $2,000 a month, your social security check is the most of that, which is 24,000 a year that would ever be taxed is 17,500, I guess that number would be. So, you know, you're never going to pay on all of it, but yes, there's definitely, when it comes time to retire, there's definitely tax considerations that come into play as to how much you pull income wise from where to determine what your overall tax burden is going to be, plus what your burden is going to be on social security. So so your taxation depends upon the overall amount of money that you're making and taking Social Security at the same time. Is that money earned from a W-2, some sort of a job, or does money coming in from investments count towards, you know, raising your Social Security income tax? Right. So let's talk about two things. Number one, I can have all the passive income I want and not affect how much my Social Security comes in, right? So I can still earn a hundred grand a year at investments, earn twenty thousand dollars a year for a job and not get penalized on my social security. I have to pay any of it back. However, as I have passive income that comes up, yes, it does combine with my social security income and any other income that comes in to figure out how much I will be taxed on my social security. So deciding when to take Social Security is only one part of a retirement plan. And a financial advisor such as Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group, they can help you see and understand all the variables that go into a retirement plan. If you'd like to talk about your retirement plan and how Social Security figures into that, certainly we offer a no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment retirement roadmap, sort of like Sherpas guiding you up the mountain of retirement, getting you to the top and keeping you company along the way. To get your retirement roadmap, call 417-889-7233. It's 417-889-7233. You can also request your retirement roadmap or your financial review online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. When we come back, we'll be talking about 10 strategies to maximize your 401k balance. All that and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your host, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about 10 strategies to maximize your 401k balance and get started down the retirement path on the right foot. 
And if your employer offers a 401k match, make sure you save enough to take advantage of it. Capturing a 401k match is one of the fastest and most painless ways to boost your 401k balance. Let's talk about some of the ways to make the most of your 401k plan besides just that simple fact. Number one is just don't accept the default savings rate. Yeah, so I think that when we talk about the default savings rate, a lot of times that's 3% on your plan that basically once you sign up for your 401k, they hold out 3% of your check and then put it in there. If they're a match, you know, you'll get the match up to your 3%. And I think that that's basically not going to be enough for most people in retirement if you are starting that and you just keep it at 3% the whole time. You know, you need to, as you get raises, allow some more of that to be held out. In fact, we have people that come in, some of the most successful people is, you know, if they get into their job and they're they're making their money and they're used to what they're spending, you know, they'll take half of their raise and put it toward the savings, you know, and before they know it, they're saving, you know, 20% or something, right. uh, of their of their pay. And so if you never let yourself get used to spending that money, it will not be difficult for you to save it. But I think that that's a good tip that don't accept the default savings rate. And uh, we already talked about getting the uh, 401k match and the most common 401k match is around 50 cents for each dollar saved up to 6% of your pay. Of course, it is free money and everyone loves free money. Let's talk about staying until you're fully vested. I mean, you're not vested just, you know, right out of the gate, are you? Yeah, generally, Jeff, the vesting period, the most common is five years. Mm-hmm. Unless you're maybe age 60 or older, in some cases, if you're 65 and older, there are some companies that write plans that say you are 100% vested when you get to that age. But early on, most people are going to be looking at a five-year vestment period so that you get all the money that you put in plus all the money your employer put in. And some employers will allow people to leave before they're fully vested and uh, keep a portion of the match based on their years of service, but not everyone. Check with your employer. And again, consider carefully if you're going to be leaving before you are fully vested, because that is very, very important. The next one is to maximize your tax break. What does that mean? Uh, Yes, Jeff. Maximizing your tax break is important. So in a traditional 401k, any money that you put in to your retirement plan goes in pre-tax, meaning you put that money in there, you didn't pay any taxes on it. Now, you will pay taxes later, but most people, or I should say a lot of people, will be paying at a lower tax bracket in retirement than they are during their working years. Yeah, I agree with that, Randy. And uh, I would also add that, you know, depending on how much money you're making, that should probably be a conversation you have with your financial advisor and say, hey, does it make more sense for me to save this money pre-tax or does it make more sense for me to fund a Roth? And and the basic difference is if anything you fund pre-tax now is deductible off your taxes today but later you pay income tax on whatever you take out. Versus with the Roth, what happens is you pay the income tax today, but with the Roth, whenever you take it out, later in retirement, assuming you've had it open five years and, and, and all that good stuff, you can take money out of there tax-free as well as all the gains tax-free. So it's a it, it can be a very powerful thing, but if you're making you know a couple hundred thousand dollars a year while you're working, it's probably not going to make sense to not get the tax break today. However, if you're in a lower tax bracket now, it could make sense to fund the Roth, which, which allows you to take it tax-free later, but also gives you some extra flexibility with retiring early because you can take money out and it doesn't count on 
taxes, which affects health insurance and Medicare premium and, you know, a lot of things we probably don't have time to get in, into right now today. But that's a conversation that you should definitely have with your financial advisor. 10 Strategies Maximize Your 401k Balance. That's our subject uh, this segment with Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. The next one is diversify with a Roth 401k. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so the Roth 401k acts really like a Roth IRA, except inside a retirement plan like a 401k, you can put a lot more money in. There are limitations on funding a regular outside of a company 401k plan. There's limitations on earnings and things for you to get benefit for that. But uh, one thing to bear in mind with the Roth is even though you're funding a Roth IRA, which means you don't get the tax break today, you're going to get it in retirement. Any match that your employer puts into your Roth 401k is going to be pre-tax. So when you do retire, you will still have what will be transferred into a traditional IRA as well as the Roth IRA, which would be the majority if you've been funding a Roth IRA during working years that would go to that Roth IRA. So you'll still have two tax buckets there, but the Roth will far outshine the other side. And another way to maximize your 401k is to don't cash it out early. I mean, a lot of people go from job to job to job, I mean, several times over the course of their career, and it can be tempting to cash out that 401k. But if you do it early, you could face a penalty, right? Right. You're going to face a penalty of 10%. Plus, when you do cash it out, the federal government's going to withhold. It's mandatory that companies withhold 20% for the Fed before they send you the check. So a couple of things I would say. Most people, I say most people, a lot of people don't realize that they can do two things with that money. Number one, they can transfer it to their next company 401k, roll it over to there, or they can roll it over into a traditional IRA, which has many, many more investment options outside of what the 401k will offer. So before you just jump out of bed and pay the 10% penalty plus the 20% tax Mm -hmm. on that IRA or that 401k, we should have a conversation about it. Also, one big thing that I see from time to time is I see people saying, you know what, I'm 55, I'm just about done. I'm going to take $150,000 out of here as a salary, or I'm going to wait till 59 and a half, and I'm going to pull out $200,000 and pay off my house. Well, if you do that, there's going to be a huge tax burden with that. And I would just say that you need to consider what interest you're paying versus what you're going to pay in taxes and the time frame with which all that's going to happen before you make such a move. Also, when you change jobs, I mean, can you generally leave your 401k balance at your former company or you can roll it over, as you said, to an IRA or your new employer's 401k plan? But there is a way to do that. I mean, you can have your former employer cut you a check, but then you're going to pay taxes on that. Can your former employer simply transfer your 401k plan into your new employer's 401k plan or an IRA and avoid the fees? Yeah, that's definitely an option that you can consider. And, you know, what's going to make the most sense there is really going to going to depend on the person, how far you are out from retirement, how much you have saved. If it's a relatively small account, it could make sense just to roll it into the, the current plan. But like Randy was saying, a lot of times staying out of the current plan, you have more options with your investments. I think one other thing too that we see is if you have some kind of an emergency and you need to take money out of your 401k, you should definitely consider taking a loan versus actually taking the money out. There's several benefits to that. Number one, it's not taxable when you take that loan. So mm-hmm. instead of spending it, you get to take it out tax-free. When you pay it back, you pay it back with interest, but you pay it into your account with that interest. So 
It's not a good idea to tap it at all, but if you really have to tap it, definitely look at using a loan versus actually taking the money out. It could save you a boatload of taxes. And another way that you can maximize your 401k is diversifying your assets. What I mean by that is on a regular basis, should you take a look at what you've got and change the diversification ratio of the things that you have in your 401k? So again, Jeff, as we say a lot on this show, uh, it depends. The average person that's, you know, 25 to 45 years old probably should set it up in a relatively aggressive setup and then just let it go and not worry too much about it. When the market's down, as long as you keep funding, you're going to dollar cost average in, meaning you're going to buy shares cheaper when the market is down. And and that all just kind of happens automatically. As we get closer to retirement, certainly in the retirement red zone, that five years before you retire and five years after retire, that's when we really need to be careful. The answer is we might want to make some changes or we might not. The average person will whipsaw themselves, meaning they'll transfer themselves in and out and in and out. And ultimately what they will do is just cost themselves gains. So we want to be careful not to be too overly reactive. However, if you have saved a sufficient amount for retirement and you're getting close and things start to look a little rocky, it's okay to take some money to a little bit safer position just to make sure that we don't take a big hit right before retirement. That's what we want to avoid. So again, if you're younger, just fund that thing and keep funding it. Don't stop. Get your match. As you get closer to retirement, you should sit down with a retirement advisor and just make sure that you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's and have a little bit of an analysis of where you stand, how much you can expect as income in retirement, and that will really dictate the strategy as far as risk is concerned. And the final way to maximize your 401k balance is to remember those RMDs, Required Minimum Distributions. Yeah, so RMDs you know, used to be kind of a, a lot bigger deal than they are really today. There's been several legislation changes over the last few years. And whereas most of the people listening to this show, unless you're already taking an RMD, you will be 75 before you, you start taking your RMD. There's a couple exceptions to that, but they've really pushed the age back quite a bit. But it is very important to take your RMD because if you fail to take your RMD in a year where you're supposed to, the penalty for that is 50% wow. of what you would have taken. Wow. So it's a it's a very very owie thing so you definitely you definitely want to uh, make sure that you do that at Floyd Financial Group we keep a list of everybody who needs to take their RMD and how much so it's very easy for us to help you make sure you don't miss it but if you're doing it on your own for sure you need that's one thing you definitely want to write down and uh, and be careful of if our listeners have questions about how to maximize their 401k balance and stay in the game certainly we are offering a chance to sit down with Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group and talk about your 401k, actually any of your investments to get you to retirement, a retirement in which you thrive, not just survive. If you'd like to sit down and have that conversation again, no cost, no obligation, certainly no judgment with Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group, call 417-889-7233. It's 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Well, Randy and Jake, we are out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time. But most of all, I want to thank the fine folks here of the last bastion of sanity, Springfield, Missouri, for joining us. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend this last weekend of June. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Investment advisory services offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC.
Do the new administration's proposed tax and estate planning changes have you concerned about your future? The time to prepare is now. So take advantage of a complimentary, no-obligation conversation with Floyd Financial Group. Offered over the phone, virtually, and in person, their entire custom retirement planning process begins with an initial conversation. If the estate exemption is lowered and the tax rate is increased, does that leave you with questions? Floyd Financial Group has answers. Will an increase in capital gains tax affect your investments and income distributions? Floyd Financial Group has answers. If changes remain unclear for most of 2021, remember, uncertainty doesn't preclude planning. Get started today by calling Floyd Financial Group at 417-889-7233. It's a complimentary conversation focused solely on you, your questions, your goals, and how changes can impact your family's future. Call 417-889-7233 or visit floydfinancialgroup.com. Advisory services offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC. If you want to retire anytime soon, there are three factors that will affect your finances. The stock market, the economy, and tomorrow's tax bill. No one knows what the future may bring, but we do know that now is the time to have a plan and people you can trust to help guide you. At Floyd Financial Group, we focus on those nearing or already in retirement for times just like these. We've seen the bumpy times before and we'll see them again. And we remain cautious and prudent for today, but optimistic about tomorrow. To request a complimentary consultation, visit floydfinancialgroup.com. 